0: Greetings, everybody. Welcome into the College of All 365 podcast. I am Dylan cowan Crowley. I'm joined by my co-host, Marty Leap, talking some coaching hires this week as well as some transfer news and making our first bold pre- predictions of the season here. Uh, we're going to be uh, predict uh, giving our predictions for the games between uh, Friday, December 17th, all the way to, uh, I believe, Wednesday, December 22nd. So a nice little uh, group of games here we're going to give our predictions for. And then, of course, we'll give predictions out for next week's game, uh, starting for the 23rd, uh, early next week. But let's get right into it, Marty. There's been a lot of uh, coaching hires over the last few weeks, uh, a couple of Power 5 hires, a couple of G5 hires. We're going to focus on two big Power 5 hires here this, uh, this episode. Uh, so last time we talked was um, right before Manny Diaz got fired as uh, Miami's head coach. Uh, it, it was in the middle of that awkward process where it seemed like Miami was going after Mario Cristobal and kind of leaving Diaz uh, out to ha- just out to dry um, while he was out on the recruiting trail and everything. Since then Diaz got canned uh, about uh a week, a week and a half ago now, and Mayor Cristobal has been hired as the next head coach at the University of Miami, leaving uh, what do you, what he had going on in Oregon, which was pretty good, and we'll get to that Oregon job in a minute, but let's talk about Cristobal to Miami. Uh, first of all, I, I think I said a last episode, but I, I really did not like how Miami played this coach in search and how they kind of treated Manny Diaz during it. I, I get he didn't, live up to expectations and everything. But uh, they treated this coaching search really poorly, and I I think it was a pretty bad look for Miami. Yeah, it was definitely a bad look for Miami, the way they handled it. Um,
1: I mean, now, I feel like Mario Cristobal to Miami was the worst kept secret in college football for probably the last month and a half or so of the season. But with Manny Diaz, I think the biggest thing with him is it's not like – Miami was terrible under him. Sure, maybe he wasn't living up to the expectations that they had. But in his three seasons in Coral Gables, you know, he was bull eligible all three seasons. Last year, they were an eight-win team that finished in the top 25. And this year, they were 7-5 and looked like they had found their quarterback for the long term. So there's probably reasons to be optimistic about Miami moving forward. Um, I definitely feel safe saying that had they not been able to get Crystal Ball, they wouldn't have fired Diaz, which I think makes this – even more of a mess for them. Like this wasn't them looking to fire Manny Diaz as much as this was them looking to get Mario Cristobal. And it just so happened it came to fruition for them. So, you know, I, I think Manny definitely got, <clears throat> definitely got a raw deal on this one. And, you know, we'll get into uh, the assistant coaching carousel later in the off season, but I am happy for him to have landed on his feet in a great situation at Penn state after the raw deal he got at Miami.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, think the, for Manny Diaz, uh, landing at Penn state, that's a great job for him to go to. Uh, he has a very similar defensive philosophy to Brent pry. I think a little bit more aggressive, which I think Penn state fans will like, And I, I think it's a great fit for Diaz in happy Valley. I mean, uh, I, I know you saw the video, but for those who uh, didn't see the video of him, uh, walking out onto Beaver stadiums field for the first time, I don't think he was enjoying the cold weather there yet getting up in state college, but, uh, uh, outside of that i think it's a, a great fit for diaz and i'm excited to see what he could bring to happy valley um just in terms of a uh, defensive philosophy or um how he kind because of, while he remains rather the same with brent pry um in the philosophy and um uh, all that they are a little bit different in how uh they they coach certain situations so I, i'm Excited to see the change. I, I get excited with any coach and hire at any school uh, to see those type of changes from one coach to another. It's uh, it, it gives you a new, a new feeling. It's kind of like uh, having a new quarterback out there. When somebody has a new quarterback, all the fan, entire fan base is kind of uh, to another energy level. Cause it's something new to watch. Um, so, uh, but a great land spot for Diaz. Now for Cristobal, I mean, I, I think Mario Cristobal is a very good coach. I, I don't think he's an elite coach, as some people may think he is. He is a very good recruiter. There's no doubt about that. But I, let's be honest, recruiting for Miami has never really been a super big issue. Have they had down seasons on the trail? Absolutely. But they still carry their own weight on the recruiting trail. there are in a recruiting hotbed. They should be putting together some pretty strong recruiting classes. And that was a place where Manny Diaz did struggle at times, especially down there in the heart of Miami, where they they – did rely on for a long time, getting some kids out of that being said on their hand, I, I, I feel like Miami fans are expecting this to be a quick turnaround for crystal ball with the hurricanes, but I, I just don't think it's going to be that. I, I think he's going to need some time. He's going to probably coach himself out of a few games here. Cause th- he did that at Oregon many times. Um, I mean, he's a good coach, but I, the one coach I compare him to a lot in in how they are in game days is I think he's a lot like James Franklin. James Franklin's a very good recruiter. He's a okay game day coach, though. He he struggles on game day at times with clock management or getting his team it feels like up ready to play against lower tier opponents. And I think we saw that with Cristobal at Oregon as well. Cause I mean you to see some of the games they lost over his time there. And and there's a handful of games they never should have lost. Uh, so I, it's going to be interesting how Miami fans react if this doesn't start out fast like they're hoping for. Uh, and <clears throat> on the other end, like with how we talk about Texas, I just I wonder if does the coaching down there really matter if the culture surrounding the program doesn't get out of its own way. I mean, there's only so much a coach can do until, but if the culture surrounding a program is is going an, a, another direction or isn't flowing with the program, having the same vision, it, it's not going to work out. I think we've seen that at a place like Texas now for the last decade since Mac Brown left.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree with all of that. I do think with Crystal Ball, uh, the James Franklin comparison makes a good one. Um, You know me, you know, I can be extremely critical of James Franklin's game day coaching. That said, as a game day coach, I would take James Franklin over Mario Crystal Ball all day long. Um, Now, I think with Miami, like you said, he should be able to recruit at levels that Miami, you know, has not recruited at in quite a while. Um, I think You're going to see him be able to keep a lot of kids home. And if he's able to do that, you know, that talent can – help you overcome a lot. I mean, I mean, look, look at Dabo Sweeney. No one has ever said Dabo Sweeney's this great X and O coach, huh. but when you have the talent, you're going to win more than you lose. And with Miami and the ACC, especially in that division, and especially with Dabo who, you know, Clemson really for the first time in quite a while is going to be in a little bit of a crossroads here with where they're going to go as a program. So the ACC could be wide open, especially that coastal division. And I do think just on town alone, Mario Cristobal within two to three years
0: could really have the hurricanes just humming along at the top of their division in the ACC. Sure. I, I definitely expect Chris ball to get that program turned around to a degree. I think he can turn them into a ACC contender. Uh, like I, and I, I don't want to say contender necessarily, but it's just so hard to predict where's Clemson going from here. Like I can see Clemson getting right back on the horse next year and being a very good team again, uh, but I can also see this as maybe the beginning of where Clemson's still a very good program, but they're not going to be a title contender like they have been for the last better half of a decade. Um, if it's the latter, I, I think Miami is a is a true ACC contender. If it's if, if it's the former, then I, I don't know if the ACC any of the ACC really has a chance. But I, I think he does get this program turned around to the point where it, Miami should be making the ACC championship game. Uh, I would say at least three years out of five. Um, will he get them back to being a title contender? I, I don't know. Cause there's a lot that Miami needs to work on for Miami to reach that level again. And I, I just don't know if they're going to have the commitment, uh, including financially to make that now, Hiring Crystal Ball is a sign that they're willing to make that commitment because they also, you know, fired uh, Manny Diaz and that was a big buyout. So perhaps, so I think the the footing is there for them to make that step financially. But I, I'm not I'm not going to believe it until I see it out of them fully. Um, <clears throat> but but I mean that's just how I generally feel about uh, Crystal Ball or the next couple of years with uh, the Hurricanes.
1: Yeah. And I definitely think uh, increased financial commitment from the university is going to be big here. And I mean, like you said, it it appears it's coming. Um, We even saw there was members of the university staff who came out and were kind of disgruntled over the amount of money that they pumped into between the buyout from Andy Diaz and what it took to hire Mario Cristobal. And I do think that Cristobal, even though he is obviously a, a native son to the hurricanes with what he had going at Oregon and with how much emphasis he puts on recruiting and his recruiting support staff and things of that nature. If he was not given promises <clears throat> in his contract for Miami, I don't think this is a move he makes. So I do think we're going to see the hurricane start to play more here. And, you know, like you said, Dylan, there's no reason they shouldn't be in the ACC championship, at least every two to three out of five seasons. Cause they're ultimately you look at that ACC coastal and it's the, U, they're the biggest brand in that division and they should be running it. And I think with Mario Cristobal, there's a, they have the best opportunity they have had in quite a while to put themselves in that position.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, Miami, I I wouldn't be surprised if Miami's even uh, competing this upcoming year for an ACC championship, because I think you can make the argument that the best quarterback in the ACC enter next season is uh, in Miami and Tyler Van Dyke.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at what Miami's going to be bringing back, and the most important thing they're bringing back is that quarterback. Uh, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, look looked like with part of the reason why I thought things would be trending upwards with Manny Diaz, is it seems like they had finally found their quarterback. And, you know, you look at quarterback play in the ACC this year, Kenny Pickett's going to be gone. Sam is going to be gone. Sam Howell's going to be gone. Like, like you said, Van Dyke legitimately might be the best quarterback in the conference next year, unless DJ Uyongalo like, can get his act together and find the form he had in 2020. So, yeah. And, you know, quarterback play is it's, it's what matters most in football, you know, the, the most important position in any sport is quarterback. So I do think that, you know, to see the hurricanes come out next season and potentially contend for a trip to the ACC championship game, I don't think it would surprise anybody at all. Cause I also think you're going to see them get a nice little boost from crystal ball in general with the team, and, you know, you look at their schedule, they go to Clemson. But other than that, FSU, North Carolina, Pitt are all at home. And they've got to go to Blacksburg also against the Hokies. But, you know, the Clemson game being a crossover game, you can kind of throw it out the window. if they Their schedule
0: sets up well for them to go to make a run towards the ACC title game as well. I, I fully fully agree with you there. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, this upcoming offseason goes for Crystal Ball. Um obviously we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, eve of early s- national sign day, which I'm I'm always excited for national sign day. It's it's fun just to see all these schools officially sign recruits, um, see what classes are coming together, what big surprises is gonna be. Um, and and tomorrow should be a fun day. Um, we're gonna have a sign day recap episode up on Thursday. Um most likely, but um, yeah, I mean, this is a big, big couple of month, weeks here for Cristobal, getting this Miami class signed, see what he can add maybe between uh, the early signing period and uh, National Sign Day in February, uh, and also the transfer portal. We'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and, of course, we'll talk more about the ball hire down the road uh, when we officially give out all our uh, coaching carousel grades at the end of the coaching carousel. Uh, most likely uh, sometime right after uh, the national championship game. Um, Cause I'm assuming all, most jobs will be filled by them. Um, well, Button
1: to Ryan Dables,
0: the NFL
1: in uh, early January and we get the carousel starts spinning all over again.
0: Yeah. That, that I mean, <laughs> that was the bit, I forget who reported it this week, but there is rumors out there that what is a, uh, his, his agent is Trace Armstrong, correct? And he's, yeah, and the rumor was, I don't remember if it was general manager or what it was, but Armstrong
1: would take some sort of front office position with the Bears where Matt Nagy's obviously a dead man walking and take yeah. day with him. Um, I know there's also been some smoke in recent weeks about Denver potentially wanting to make a run at Ryan Day also. So I don't think Ryan Day to the NFL, even though I said that half sarcastically, it probably is something that should not be completely ruled out.
0: No, I don't think you can rule it out at, at all. I mean, uh, I think the only thing you could say for certain is this off season. Ryan day is probably going to get paid some big bucks, whether it's from an NFL team or by Ohio state, because, uh, I mean, you look at some of the contracts going around the big 10 Ryan day is being well underpaid right now. And he he's on a bargain. Um, but, uh, talking about Chris ball and Miami and all that with Chris ball, leaving Miami to, uh, sorry, leaving Oregon to go to Miami that left the Oregon Ducks job open. And that was a coaching hire that didn't take super long. It was, but it was an interesting coaching hire. There was a couple of names that got thrown out there. Um, One of them being, you know, uh, Chip Kelly, uh, obviously the former uh, head coach there at Oregon that had them in their glory days. Um, Nothing ever transpired there, but the other one was uh, Cal coach, Justin Wilcox, who, uh, I believe, did play his football at Oregon as a defensive back back in, the, I think, the late 90s. Um, he did, that's correct. Yeah, so he was a guy who came up, and apparently the report is out there, uh, I've seen it multiple times, uh, that Wilcox was offered this job by Oregon and, and turned it down two times, which I, I don't know what that says more about uh, Wilcox and his vision at Cal. I mean, he's built something decent there at Cal. Um, and I think he could continue to build it or was there something about that Oregon job? He didn't like, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting, but, uh, and we'll get back to that in a second, either way, Oregon eventually did land on um, Georgia defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning uh, who's just 35 was just uh, six years ago, a uh, graduate assistant on Alabama staff. I mean, uh, w- What a that that is an incredible timeline by the way to go from a graduate assistant to Alabama to a linebackers coach at Memphis, then at Georgia, become the defensive coordinator at Georgia, and then by 2021, you're a head coach at a top 12 program in college football. I mean, that is an absolutely insane timeline for a coach. And I mean, we can talk about that 2015 Alabama staff that has like now, seven current NFL head coaches that was on it. But um, Dan Lanning to Oregon. Let's talk about that first. We'll get into everything else then. I think it's an interesting hire for Oregon because you look at back over the last couple of hires for Oregon, it's always been uh, offensive-minded head coaches. Um, Crystal Ball, obviously. Taggart. Um, who am I playing it on between Taggart and Chip Kelly? Oh, um, Mark Helfrich. Yeah, Helfrich and then Chip Kelly, obviously. Um, it's been all offensive-minded. Now they switched to being a defensive-minded head coach in Dan Lanning, which I don't think is necessarily a bad idea. Um, it, it's going to depend on who he brings in as that offensive coordinator and how uh, that offense runs, obviously. But w- what's your thoughts on Lanning? Because for me, I, I like the potential there you of course bring him from the sec from kirby smart slash in a way nick Saban. so he has that nick Saban, kirby smart philosophy and recruiting but i mean it's a it's taking a huge chance on a guy who's never been a head coach at any level yeah it's definitely a huge chance and it was a hire that
1: quite honestly i didn't i, I don't know if i really like it um i think there's a uh, a possibility for it to prove to be a great hire, but this thing could very easily blow up also. Um, <clears throat> I mean, yes, he was defense coordinator of Georgia, but with Kirby there, you know, how much of that was actually him. And, you know, it's it's not like he's a guy who has any sort of ties to Oregon or to the region. So I just – I don't know – you know, I, I didn't. I wouldn't have liked Justin Wilcox necessarily either, but I think Wilcox could have been the better hire of the two, just because of his ties to to the West Coast and to the Pac-12 and everything. But yeah, definitely a, a strange hire I feel for Oregon, because I, I thought Landing was a guy who was could very possibly land a head coaching job this off season, but I but not expect it to be a program the caliber of
0: Oregon. Yeah, I mean, there now he was being considered for that Oklahoma job a little bit as well. So, I mean, I'm, I wasn't totally shocked when I heard his name come up for Oregon, but I mean, that's, it just feels like a really big, ch- honestly, it's a really big chance and somewhat of a risk because I mean, on top of being a first time head coach, we're also talking about a guy who he's only experience on the West coast is with Arizona state as a graduate assistant and Uh, recruiting coordinator for two years. So, I I mean, it's not like I will have to go back and look at his recruiting a little bit more specifically in terms of Georgia, but on paper, it's not a guy who has a ton of connections to coaches out West, uh, high school coaches, that is, which I'm going to be interested in how that affects uh, his recruiting, especially in places like Los Angeles, where it's going to now be much tougher to go into and pull out these four and five-star kids from USC now that Lincoln Riley's running the Trojans, yeah, there are a lot of recruiting battles. Mario Cristobal won that he would not have won had Lincoln Riley
1: been at USC. Um, <clears throat> USC will have, you know, first right of refusal of any prospect they want west of the Rocky Mountains with 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 Lincoln Riley there because when USC is cooking, that's how it is. And you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be shocked if part of the reason Mario Cristobal Took the Miami job was because of Lincoln Riley taking the USC job. Okay. So this it's not going to make things easy for Dan Lanning. And also with Oregon, I know people like to throw the Phil Knight money around, but Oregon has always been notorious for not paying assistant coaches well, for not paying their recruiting support staff well, and that is also something Landing's going to have to deal with, especially as a first time head coach.
0: Yeah, I and I mean, yeah, Phil Knight has the um, has money. I mean that that is quote-unquote FU money that Phil Knight is able to throw around that program. Um, and yeah, they, they definitely need to throw the money at the assistance and the support staff uh, for landing to be successful because if, if you're relying on landing to be successful with limited support staff, limited salary pool for assistance, it's going to be a disaster. Um, but also, like, I, I feel like there's just unrealistic expectations. I don't know if it's the fan base, if it's the administration, if it's Phil Knight or who, but I feel like Oregon expects themselves to be a national championship contender next year when, I mean, yes, they dealt with a lot of injuries this year, but I look at that roster. I don't see a national championship contending team. Do I see a team that can win the PAC 12? Absolutely. But I, I don't think they have nearly what it, they need to have to compete for a national championship. If they run the table, yes, they can make the playoffs, but I, I just don't see them being a true national championship contender uh, in the next uh, at least two years. We'll see how Landon recruits and uh, perhaps he goes into the, the transfer portal and pulls some rabbits out of his hat, which I mean, it's not gonna, it's not pure magic. It is Oregon, they do have some prestige, and the brand, it's a brand right now that recruits itself to a degree, but I mean, I also think there's just really a lot of unrealistic expectations around Oregon and I know some Oregon fans think they're a blue blood, but but Oregon's not a blue blood. There's still if everything in the Pac twelve is going to what it has been for majority of the history of college football, Oregon's the number two three program in the Pac twelve and they're not a a blue blood program, they're, they're kind of a new money. They're new money, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, obviously the best program in the Pac-12
1: is and always will be USC, but, you know, it, it, with all things equal, I would be willing to make the argument to Washington might be the second-best program the second-best job in that conference over Oregon still. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be curious to see how this works out for Oregon. I definitely think it's a gamble. I definitely think it's a hire that has a high ceiling to it, but – I would be afraid the floor on this one could potentially be pretty low, and especially um, it seems like a lot of the lettermen and things of that nature are already not happy with this hire, and that's never a good way for a coach to start, especially when it's your first head coaching gig.
0: Yeah, it, this is going to be a really interesting one to watch over the next few years. I I I like the potential, but, I mean, if I'm Oregon, I think I would have – there was some pretty decent names you could have gone out there and tried to get – um, but, I mean, it feels like while the ceiling, yes, is you could turn into maybe an Alabama – let's not say Alabama, but you can turn turn into a Georgia, uh, perhaps an Ohio State, a Texas A&M uh, in terms of recruiting levels. Um, the floor here is uh, disaster.
1: Yeah, I think the floor here is late stage Mark Helfrich, Oregon – when you were going four and eight towards the end. And, you know, I'm sure Oregon fans, if they can get the same ceiling they had under Mark Alfred when they're playing in the college football playoff, they would take that. But uh, I would be afraid that, you know, you don't reach those same heights with Lanning before the floor potentially falls out from underneath you.
0: Yep. It'll be it'll be in very interesting with Lanning, and Lanning uh is is going to coach uh, the Georgia defense in the playoffs which i i I definitely respect that decision i mean you have a chance to win a national championship you very well should go and coach that um but will will that hurt oregon here as he has to prepare for the playoffs i mean it'll be interesting uh because if he he's going to live up to their expectations he needs to hit the portal hard this year i think they need a they really need to find out what they have in that quarterback room. Um, because you can't go with Anthony Brown next year. I know they have some solid recruits in that quarterback room. Uh, but, uh, I, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Oregon, a lot like Miami. And, uh, it, it's a big, it's a big hire for uh, for landing in Oregon, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, other power five jobs. I recently have, uh, closed, uh, Virginia, they hired uh, Clemson offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. That was a job that it looked like for a little bit, uh, Penn state defensive backs coach and uh, or sorry, safeties coach and uh, uh, co-defense coordinator, Anthony point Dexter, who is also of course a UVA alum and recent college football hall of fame inductee. Uh, it looked like he was going to get the job. He did not. Uh, Elliott uh, then was deciding between a at Clemson and the UVA job. Some say the Duke job, but he was never offered the Duke job before deciding. Um, but uh, he goes to Virginia, which I—it's, I think, a nice hire for Virginia because you're buying low on Elliott right now. He's coming off a kind of poor season at the offensive coordinator at Clemson, and if he had a if he had another great season this year, he would have been a guy that was out there for potentially the Oregon job. He would have been out there for a lot of these high profile jobs, but he had a bad season and uh, his stock dropped because of that. And, and they got him on this kind of low value. So perhaps it pays off in a big way. Now you you can say that you have your doubts. What's he like without a generational quarterback? We perhaps saw that this year at Clemson. Uh, is he going to be able to recruit Evergreen to the level they're going to, he's going to have to so on and so forth. And uh, if they're going to be successful, Virginia also has to make a commitment to the football program, something they haven't really done in the past. Um, and then a Duke, uh, Texas A&M defense coordinator, Mike Elko took that job, which I feel like Elko could have been in line for maybe a, a couple other bigger, better jobs in a year or two. But I guess uh, there's only so many true – I mean, there's, what, 130 FBS teams. Um there's only 60-some power five teams. So, I mean, I guess if one opens, you, you, you have to really consider about taking it. But, I mean, you also look like a guy like Brent Pryor of Virginia Tech. Brent Pry had his coaching offers over the last few years to become a head coach, and he turned them on down. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he got a pretty nice job there at Virginia Tech. Uh, so, I mean, it, I I think it's a risky decision both by Elko and by Duke because Duke Elko has never been a head coach and he's never really had to in at least in a long time uh recruit and coach under such a uh limited budget and and ceiling and then for Elko I mean if you fail you may not get another head coaching job
1: well, I mean, I think with Mike Alka, first and foremost, I think if things go sideways for him at Duke, which I mean, definitely is very possible because it's Duke outside of just a remarkable job David Cotcliffe did. You never really saw any sort of any sort of success sure. there at all from the Blue Devils. Yeah, um, I yeah. think what helps him is he ever since his time at Wake Forest, he's been viewed as one of the absolute best defense coordinators in the country. I don't think he would struggle to land on his feet as a defense coordinator somewhere and could – Land another job because you know people will give him the pass of the being Duke. Um, <clears throat> the Tony Elliott hire that's an interesting one for Virginia. Um, all signs point towards that they want a point dexter, and there were commitments that they would not give poindexter, and he backed out. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I've never been very high on Tony Elliott as a coach. Um, I also don't think it's a coincidence that along with the loss of the generational quarterback when Clemson lost co-offensive coordinator Jeff Scott. Things also started trending in the wrong direction for the Clemson offense. So I think that's definitely a gamble of a hire by Virginia. But then again, when you're Virginia and you can't even make the commitments that are required to get one of your best players ever to come back and be your head coach, you know, you kind of just got to settle for whatever it is you can get. I feel.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And if he turned the job down, uh, Virginia was going to target uh, Michigan offense coordinator and wide receivers coach, Coach uh, Josh Gaddis for the opening. Of course, never got to that point. Um, and there's obviously a couple of G5 hires that happened. Um, I'll just quickly mention them uh, quickly, and then we go into some other uh, news. Uh, so at uh, Nevada, uh, they fulfilled the position left by Jay Norvell, who went to Colorado State with uh, Oregon inside linebacker coach Ken Wilson. Um, FIU replaced Butch Davis with former Colorado State head coach Mike McIntyre. Fresno State replaced Kellen DeBoer, who went to Washington, of course, with uh, former Fresno State head coach Jeff Tedford, which is a nice pickup for uh, Fresno State. And those were the only uh, other job unions fulfilled since we last talked. Let's get into the transfer portal here here quickly. Uh, We had two really big transfers over the last, um, I guess, 72 to 96 hours. Um, the first one being Quinn Ewers uh, has found his landing spot. He has gone back to Texas color me surprised. Um, yeah. So of course we all know, uh, Ewers left Ohio state about a little over maybe close to about two weeks ago, maybe a little over two weeks ago at this point, but Ewers left Ohio state. Um, Entered the transfer portal. It, it was always going to be going back home to Texas. It was the state that is. It was just, was it going to be Texas Tech, TCU, SMU, or Texas? Um, unshockingly, he ends up back uh, where he uh, was first committed all along with the Longhorns. Big pickup for Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, this is a place yours should step into next year and probably be the starting quarterback. Will he live up to expectations that remain to be pre- foreseen? I mean, this is a kid who last played for, like more than three snaps in three. I mean, he was at a State this year. Last year was a COVID year. Uh, so I don't think he got to play much, if at all. Um, so his last, I guess, full season was three years ago when he was a sophomore uh, in Texas uh, in high school football. I mean, it's been a long time since he played. And going from a sophomore, I know high school football in Texas is really talented, but, I mean, it's not going to be anywhere close to what he's going to be seeing at the Power 5 level. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how he plays here for Texas next season. I'm assuming he's going to be the starter. But on the other end, big pickup for Steve Sarkisian because if he didn't find a quarterback this transfer cycle, um, I mean, that program is headed into a – another poor direction hen this upcoming season still could be with viewers. Uh, but with if he lives up to the hype, Texas will be in fine hands. Yeah. If he lives up to the hype, Texas will be fine. But man, I just, I don't know. I feel
1: like yours just feels like a kid who winds up never putting it together for me. I don't even know why I feel that way. To be honest, it's just hey, Martell. Yeah. It, that's kind of what the vibes I get, you know, and Coincidentally enough, both started their career at Ohio State. So yeah, I, I don't know what's gonna come of it with with Quinn Ewers, but I will say if if he doesn't pan out for Texas and Texas continues to be Texas and go five and seven and six and six, or whatever it is. That'd be tough. Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian isn't gonna last long in Austin if that happens.
0: No, not at all. But um on paper, it's a really big pickup for Texas and uh, we'll see how, how it goes, but like you said, I mean, it's one of those things where he still may have a great career, but for as much hype that is around him, it feels like it's gonna end badly. Or, I mean, he could still have a good career, but he still won't live up to expectations because of the NIL deal he got, and then, um, on top of that, just I mean, he's almost as heralded as Trevor Lawrence was coming out of high school. Uh, it just in, insane levels of hype around Quinn years, and we'll see if it works. The other one, which was – I totally forgot about the connection here, but the other one that was a shocker to me was Spencer Rattler to South Carolina. And the connection here, Shane Beamer, of course, was the assistant head coach and tight ends coach there at Oklahoma before taking the South Carolina job this past year um that's a big pickup for Shane Beamer he has a really nice transfer class coming in for the Gamecocks this year he has a strong recruiting class uh and you look at it it was just a good first year for him as well that was a team that was kind of at the bottom not even kind of was near the bottom of the SEC in terms of overall talent and he put a decent product on that field and had them compete in most weeks so I'm I'm impressed with what Beamer's doing at South Carolina. So far, he has surpassed my expectations. And Landon Rattler can be a kind of a momentum shifter here for uh, the Gamecocks going forward, even if it doesn't necessarily result in 8-9 wins next season. Landon, a player of that caliber, is huge. And if he performs well for the Gamecocks, and if it does translate into wins, this has a chance to be just a huge momentum shifter for that program.
1: Yeah, I, too, was shocked when I saw Spencer Rattler pick South Carolina. Maybe we shouldn't have been totally shocked because I, too, kind of totally forgot about the Beamer connection with him having been at Oklahoma prior to getting hired in Columbia. So it made sense. But, yeah, that's a huge pickup for them. Um, you know, who, who knows what Rattler is going to be, what version Spencer Rattler they're going to get. But if you're a South Carolina fan, you got to be having some optimism right now because – I mean, they got eligible this year in a season. I don't think very many people at all expect them to win more than three or four games. He said they have a really strong recruiting class coming in. Um, Actually just had another big recruiting pickup over the weekend with top 100 linebacker, Jay Sean Barham. So it's, they continue to have the program moving in the right direction. So, I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan, you've got to be excited about that kind of stuff. Cause I mean, ultimately South Carolina as a program, your ceiling's always going to be capped to some capacity, but Beamer seems like he's, through the first calendar year on the job here doing a nice job of being able to try and really maximize
0: the potential out of that program. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you there with uh, what you said, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes for rather and the Gamecocks, but overall just huge for uh, that program. Nice big pickup for Shane Beamer Uh, and we'll see if they can continue this momentum in to finish off the 2022 cycle into the 2023 recruiting cycle, the off season. And of course, most importantly, next season. Um, Let's get into some bowl predictions here to end this podcast. Um, And we'll start with Friday. We got our, our, our bowl game starting Friday here, um, 12 PM um, in the Bahamas ball. We got middle Tennessee versus Toledo, Uh, Toledo, a 10 point favorite here. Over under 50, we don't have to go in depth here. Let's just let's give our prediction, just straight up predictions here. I'm gonna go with Toledo to win this game and cover that 10 point spread, and I will say we see over 50 points in this game. Yeah, give me the Rockets to cover as well. I'll
1: also take the over. I am a big believer in my principle is taking overs and bowl games. Cause I think you see offenses who are going to hold nothing back, digging the bottom of that playbook defenses that to some extent could be checked out at that point of the year. So I'm a firm believer in overs and bowl games. Give me the rockets and the points and the over.
0: All right. We move on to the tail greeter curable 6. PM on ESPN Two, this, of course, in Orlando, Florida, uh, Coast Carolina, a 10.5 point favorite over Northern Illinois, who's 9 and 4 this year. A, a surprise, 9 and 4. Uh, Coast of Carolina, 10 and 2. Um, Northern Illinois has had a really nice season. Coast of Carolina, on the other hand, I think is one of the best group of five teams in the country. Um, Grayson McCall is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Give me Coastal Carolina to win this one. And with the 63.5 over under, I will take. I'll take the under in this one.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a great season for Northern Illinois. They were not expected to be anywhere near as good as they were, and they came out and won the MAC. Um, and like you said, coast a little bit of a uh, down season for the expect for them. Um, well, Grayson McCall will be the best player on the field. Give me Northern Illinois. I think they will be a little more motivated to finish their their, suspri- their surprisingly well season strong, and uh, yeah that's a lot of points for these two teams as
0: much. As I love a bowl game over. Give me the under. All right. So you have Northern Illinois and the under. Correct. Correct. All right. Just, I, I'm creating a spreadsheet as we go through so we can track here. Um, all right. We're moving to Saturday. Uh, some college ball on a Saturday, multiple games after just having one game this past week. Uh, and uh, army Navy, of course, uh, that was a, a really fun game to watch. Um, uh, and it was another great uh, Army Navy game. Any any quick thoughts on that?
1: No, it was definitely a great game, and I really thought the uh, the fake punt turned out to be a really cool story. How it wasn't yeah. supposed to be the fake punt, and the snap on Orion. and it worked out for them. I, you know, even though I'm, I'm a uh, as someone who has two very good friends who are graduates of West Point, I'm a go Army beat Navy guy. That was still a heck of a football game.
0: It, it was it was a heck of one. One we'll remember that punt for quite a while. All right. Boca Raton ball on Saturday, 11 a.m. Western Kentucky and Appalachian state. This is going to be a really fun one. And it's an interesting matchup because, uh, Bailey's Zappe of Western Kentucky is the best quarterback in the country this year in terms of passing yards and touchdowns over 5,000 passing yards, 56 touchdowns, but he's going up against a really good app state secondary that only allowed just over 200 yards per game this year through the air. Um, so Appalachian state here, a three point favorite or under 67 and a half. I will take the over on this. Cause I think if, this has a chance for 80 total plus points. Um, now in terms of the line, I, I kind of want to take Western Kentucky with the upset here. I am going to take app state here and
1: I'm also going to take the over. I'm with you. I think this could be one of the more fun bowl games of bowl season. I mean, we will see a lot of points, um, two very good offenses two like sneaky, good group of five programs. So yeah, I think with one of the, one of the more fun games of bowl season, I agree with you on the over, but I'm going to take app state to get the W.
0: I will go with Western Kentucky just so we have, um, tough differential picks. I'm sure we'll have more, <laughs> but, uh, 2 15 PM on ESPN in the new Mexico Bowl, We got UTEP versus Fresno state Fresno, 11 and a half point favorite over under 51 here. Give me the Bulldogs to win this one and cover that spread and fifty-one points. That's that's a that's a tough number because um, uh, th- this is a very good uh, Fresno offense that's allowed thirty-three. I mean, scored over thirty points per game, and they've only allowed I think twenty points per game this year. Um, God, that's that's give me. You know, give me the over uh, on the point total of 51, and give me Fresno State to cover.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I'm also going to take Fresno in the over. Um, UTEP is averaging 26 points per game this year, so I think the Miners will get to at least 20. I think Fresno State, I think you could see them playing a pretty motivated game. Uh, Jay Keener under the transfer portal, everyone thought he was going to follow Kellen DeBoer to Washington. When Tedford was hired, he removed his name from the transfer portal. I think he comes out and has a big game. Yeah. I think the Bulldogs could get close to 40 in this game. And I think the Myers will get at least 20. So give me Fresno
0: in the over. All right. Next bowl game up is the independence bowl in, uh, Alabama sorry, in Louisiana, uh, <clears> UAB <throat> versus number 13, BYU, <laughs> BYU a seven point favorite here over under 54 and a half. I love UAB. UAB has been one of the best stories of the last decade in college football. Um, that being said, I think this BYU team is is better than the seven point spread is given them. And that over under 54 and a half, I think will also go over again. These are two really good offenses. Um BYU's defense can be scored upon this year, as we've seen. So give me BYU to cover, I think they barely cover, but give me them a cover, give me the over.
1: I agree with the over, and as for the point spread, see, personally, I think this is one of the easiest bets of bowl season is BYU minus seven. I think you're going to see a very motivated, very angry Cougars team that this is the bowl game they wound up in, especially after beating, what, I think three or four uh, Pac-12 schools during the season, plus Virginia. Uh, BYU should be in a better bowl game than this. They deserve better. I think they're going to come out and prove that and easily dispatch with UAB. 5.45
0: p.m. Eastern time on Saturday ESPN. Uh, We got the Lightning Tree Bowl. Eastern Michigan versus Liberty. Liberty, nine and a half point favorite. over under 58 and a half. Um, This is another tough one. I think Liberty is the much better team here. Nine and a half points is quite the spread. um, Because Eastern Michigan hasn't been bad this year, but their last game was a 31-10 loss to Central Michigan. Um, on the other hand, Liberty is on uh, a three-game losing streak in this game. Uh, get, uh, whenever I'm in a situation like this, I like to go uh, with better quarterback, better coach, and I think that's Liberty on both ends. So give me Liberty to cover that nine-and-a-half point spread and give me the over at the eight-and-a-half. I'm also going to take the over. These are two offenses that can put
1: up the points. Um, I think Liberty wins the game, but I think Eastern Michigan will cover the nine-point spread. Um, I do wonder about motivation for, for the Flames after, you know, a lot of preseason hype and then getting off the what was, I think, a 7-1 start or whatever it was before they lost the rest of their games. So I, I think Liberty wins, but I think Eastern Michigan covers the spread in the process.
0: All right. 7.30 p.m. ABC on Saturday night. At SoFi Stadium in L.A., we got the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Uh, Utah State versus Oregon State. This is a really nice matchup. Oregon State, seven-point favorite over under 67.5. Give me Utah State to cover that seven-point spread. And give me sixty-seven and a half points is a lot of points. Give me the under. Yeah, 67 and a half is a lot.
1: So, yeah, give me the under there. Um, I also would take Utah State to cover, but I think this is a game Oregon State winds up sneaking out of there with a field goal victory.
0: All right, so we got we both have Utah State covering and the under. Uh, a rare unison out of us here. <laughs> All right. We then go to 9.15 p.m. on Saturday, the last game on Saturday. We have the New Orleans Bowl, number 23 Louisiana versus Marshall, Louisiana five-point favorite here. If Louisiana still had Napier, and they don't, obviously, because he's now at Florida. He did coach them to a, a conference championship. I would take Louisiana to cover the spread. But that being said, they lost Napier. I'm not sure how they will be emotionally in this game. On the other hand, I think Marshall wants to end the season off big with a win because if they if they can, they set up in a nice position for next season to potentially make a run at a Conference USA championship because uh, they will have Grand Bells returning next year. Uh, and I, I think some of the other teams that are top of the Conference USA will take a little bit of a step down next year. So I think a win here can help. Propel them into a good offseason and potentially a conference USA championship next season. So give me Marshall, not just to cover but win outright, and with the over/under of 55, give me the under. I'm with you.
1: I got the under, and I got Marshall winning outright. Um, the coach factor is definitely part of it. Not only does Louisiana not have Billy Napier, um, Charles Huff came out and basically told the media he turned down the Duke job, so I think that will that will resonate well with his players. Be good motivation for Marshall to come out and play for their coach. to turn out a power five job to stay with them. And like you said, it could help propel Marshall to a
0: potential entering next season is one of the favorites of conference USA. All right. Our last four games that we're predicting on this episode, Monday, December 20th two thirty 30 PM on ESPN. We got old dominion versus Tulsa, Tulsa nine and a half point failure over under 52 and a half all dominion. Dominion went on a nice winning streak here at the end of the season to get into a bowl game. Uh, Tulsa, on the other hand, 6-6, six and six, a little bit of a disappointing season, in, in my opinion. Um, overall, I think I'd like... This is a, a really not, another really tough one to go with, but give me the over at 52.5. I think both these teams will score their fair share of points and their defenses are both below average. Um, Give me Old Dominion to cover and give me the over, but I do think Tulsa wins.
1: I'm also going to take the over, and I think obviously anyone will agree, bowl season a lot of times can be about motivation. Um, Like you said, Tulsa, a little bit of a disappointing season. Old Dominion went from not playing last year to getting bowl eligible. Give me the Monarchs. I think Ricky Ronnie and his crew, they they win this one outright. I think they'll be more motivated. Um, This is... Been one of the more special seasons in the history of Old Dominion football since they moved up to the FBS level, and I think they cap it off with a bowl victory.
0: And that, of course, is the Myrtle Beach Bowl, um, which I believe actually takes place at um, Coastal Carolina's field. Um, I believe you are correct. Uh, <clears throat> which isn't immortal. Myrtle, I don't know how far Conway is from Myrtle Beach. I know Coastal Carolina says they're basically Myrtle Beach, but um, what it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> we go on to Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. We have the Idaho Potato Bowl. Kent State versus Wyoming. Wyoming a three-point favorite here. Uh, over under a 59. I will go with my gut here, and my gut tells me Kent State to win outright. And the over. Yeah, definitely the over for me. Also,
1: Um, and this one is, excuse me, a little bit more of a tougher call. I feel like Wyoming was a team that underachieved a good bit this year. Um, So, give me the Cowboys
0: here. I'll I'll take I'll take Wyoming in the upset. And then we have UTSA versus San Diego State. 7.30 7.30 p.m. ESPN. This is going to be a fun game. Over under forty nine half. UTSA a two-and-a-half point favorite here. I actually like UTSA to cover this game. I, I don't think San Diego State has the offense uh, to keep up in this game if UTSA gets out into a, a decent lead here. So give me UTSA to uh, win this game and cover that two-and-a-half point spread. And in terms of the over-under, give me the under. Two really good defenses here.
1: I'm the same. Give me the under and give me UTSA. Ultimately, I trust their offense. Lombard and San Diego State.
0: That's the Cafe Frisco Ball in in Texas. Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Ball. Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Tropical (laughs) Smoothie Cafe Frisco Ball. All right. And that leads us with one last game here for this podcast, and that is on Tuesday. December twenty second, Missouri versus Army. Uh, Army at three and a half point favorite here. Um, I guess the question is, where is Army mentally after losing uh, the Ar- Army Navy game last week? That was by far a very disappointing loss for Army, who entered the game eight and three. Had they won that game, they could be looking at a ten game, sorry, ten win season here. Uh, But they may have to settle for nine wins with a win. Uh, On the other hand, Missouri has no defense. So I wonder if Army will be able to just run all over them and control the game clock here. I know Missouri has a good offense, but I just just don't know if if they're going to be able to contain Army defensively. So give me Army to win and cover three and a half. And in terms of over under 58, um uh, give me the under yeah <clears throat> definitely the under um always take the under service
1: academy games and i'm with you with army as well i think missouri is really going to struggle with that rushing attack and i think they'll be able to control the line of scrimmage control the pace of the game and uh come out and kind of just handle none maybe not necessarily handle the tigers but this will be a game where missouri or army excuse me is always going
0: to be in control I, I agree with that. And that is the uh, Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. And, and that wraps up this podcast episode, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the College Ball 365 podcast. My name is do Count Curly. He's Marty Leap. We'll be back at it sometime next week to preview um, the next portion of games here in bowl season. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast. Share it with your friends and family. Um, But until then, have a good one, and we'll talk to you guys uh, next week.